Hello, everybody. My name is Lon Strohschein, former public company executive turned lifestyle engineer. One year ago, I left my job as a public company executive, and I left without a resume, without another job, without a Rolodex of clients. But I left anyway. I left believing that the best years of my life were in front of me and knowing that they weren't going to be found where I was standing. I left and my mission has become to inspire the lives of a thousand dudes, to inspire the dude I used to be, to go do the things they want to do. My job here is to give you courage to finally act. And it's to remind you that dude, at this stage in life, nobody shows up to do it for you, but I'm here and I'll travel that highway with you. Thanks for being here. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you along the normal 40 highway. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Normal 40, the podcast. I am your host, Lon Strohschein. I'm going to serve as your pilot. However, I am sitting here uh, interviewing another pilot, but we're going to get into that in just a minute. Look, I tell you guys all the time, um, my life over the course of the last 15 months has become something that just a year ago, I couldn't have imagined being my life. And so often now through the course of a day, I show up to my, show up to my calendar and I see that I've got two, three, four, and on occasion, even five phone calls with individuals I've never met. Um, I didn't know followed me. I didn't know that the message of Normal 40 was having an impact on, and I get to talk to them, and I get to meet them face-to-face, and I get to stand eyeball-to-eyeball with them. And I never know who I'm going to meet every single time I hit join meeting. And it's this little bout of curiosity and wonder that always compels me and interests me and drums up this energy that that um, usually yields some of the most incredible conversations that that I've had in a lifetime. And our guest today is, is certainly no different. Um, so John Bollinger is a, is a dude who reached out to me not that long ago, a month, month and a half ago. And he just said, hey, uh, he got on my calendar. He became one of these dudes who hopped in into the queue and said, let's just chat. And he booked a free ramble. And we ended up talking for about 45 minutes. And I learned a ton. I learned a lot about John. And in the process, you know, right off the bat, you're going to realize that one of the things we share in common is that we're both pilots. Now, in full disclosure, he's a real pilot. I just kind of, I just kind of tootle around in the air a little bit. He's like legit. And you're, we're going to get into that, like full on legit. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just take some good selfies in a cockpit. Uh, that's really my claim to fame. And, and so we, we talked about that, but we started talking about life lessons that you learn being a pilot and he shared some stories. And then we started talking about, you know, why are you, why did you reach out to me, John? And that's where the story got really, really interesting, which is this transition that he finds himself in at this point in his life. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the fact that life can look really godly and good on the outside looking in. And we do that intentionally. We all do it. It's called image and we manufacture it. And why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we? But if you get to the soft underbelly of a lot of this, it takes a lot of work to make uh, things look this good. And um, it takes a lot of perseverance and it takes a lot of heartache. And at some point in your life, you just want to use all of that to help other people. And that's what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to bring John into the conversation now. And, uh, and we're just going to ramble over the course of the next 45 or 50 minutes. And we're just going to see where this conversation goes. So John, 
I want to welcome you to the Normal 40 podcast, my friend. Thank you, Lon. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the time that you would offer me. And I disclose, you know, I want to take away that you are uh, truly a pilot as well. Uh, I would say any real pilot is a pilot that is e- his his takeoffs equal his landings. And I, I think you're doing that pretty successfully. So great job. Well, so far they do equal the both sides of the ledger have equaled. You know, one of the first things we talked about, of course, when every time we get on a call, we just kind of ramble and we're trying to learn one another. And um, you told me a story about, I believe it was something your, your flight instructor said about white marbles and black marbles. Um, and, and before that we were sharing about, you know, if you're a pilot, you've got a story. And in fact, if, if you're a pilot, you've got several, but you've got two or three that, that you actually tell and a few you don't tell around your spouse. You know, we've, we've got some of those and, and you and I talked about a couple of those. Um, and, and I'm sure my spouse is listening and she's going to have some questions for me uh, later, but if you don't mind, John, go back and tell, share the story that you shared with me about white marbles and black marbles. Okay. Yeah, this is a, this is an analogy that one of my mentors gave me um, a, a while back. And this is a guy that I've looked at, you know, he, he actually was a flight instructor of mine back in 2003, when I was starting as a young Marine Corps aviator going through uh, naval uh, aviation training. Um, but I, I followed him throughout my career and then our lives kind of resurfaced back when I, um, a couple of years ago when I joined my last unit. But one of the things he taught me, he said, you know, John, every time you strap into the cockpit, every flight hour that you have is, is a marble. Think of it as a marble in an aquarium. And it is a marble that you are going to reach in to that aquarium and you're going to pull out. Now, most of the marbles in the aquarium are white. White marbles represent when you're, you know, our, our days when your takeoffs equal your landings, when the flight goes relatively close to how you briefed it, all your expectations are uh, relatively met and, and the things that you planned for generally happened, right? We know that there's things in there that don't always go as, as expected, but for the most part, it is a day that you have planned accordingly for. He said, but you're going to reach into that aquarium and there are a couple black marbles, maybe just one, maybe a couple those black marbles represent the worst day that you can imagine. It may be an engine fire. It may be a seizure of a a transmission. It may be a near midair collision. It may be confusion on the radio. It it could be a full spectrum of things, but it is a day that um, exceeds your training, exceeds what you're planning to do that day. So when you reach in, and you go to grab one of those marbles, you better make sure that you're prepared to grab a black marble. Now, so the, the, the point is most of the time, almost all the time, you'll grab a white marble and it's, and it's, uh, and it's a great day and, and it's, man, you, you land and, and you're high-fiving each other and your, your crew, but, but when you grab that black marble, you better be prepared for the situation that unfolds. And it, it's, it's an analogy to get us ready, you know, get us trained to make sure that we are 
always evaluating every experience that we can get while we're flying. Yeah, man. And I know you know this too, and it, and it sounds horrible, but the analogy of life is you get a string of 450 white marbles and things start to get pretty easy. You start to take things for granted and you start, um, you, you lull yourself into believing you're more prepared for situations than you really are. And you get, you can find yourself bored and unprepared for shit when it, when it finally happens. And, uh, and that's not, not what we want. So let's talk about this a little bit. You know, we, we, I talked about off the bat that I'm a hack in the cockpit and you're the real deal. And if you go to your LinkedIn page and I'd encourage everyone to, to go there, um, the, the right under your name, it says retired Marine one helicopter pilot. And I'm going to give you the non-military guys interpretation of what, what this means, uh, because probably most of the people are, are non-military. Um, but I worked, I worked for six years for United States Senator and I got to be around air force one and I got to be around Marine one. And I know firsthand that the title Marine one and the title air force one doesn't mean that there's only one of those aircraft in the world. It means that whichever one has that designation, that call sign, that is the one that is transporting the president of the United States. So you, sir, have gone through a distinguished flying career. You've gone through the Marine Corps. You've tested out of all of the fixed wing and rotor wing um, certifications and tests that you had to do. And before you ended your Marine career, you had the opportunity to fly a or multiple United States presidents from location to location. Can you talk about that? I mean, I mean, the, just the thought of that is, is um, incredible. And, and just share with us just a, a, a couple tidbits about anything you want as it relates to this part of this portion of your life. Well, on, I, I'm truly blessed to have a career that ended the way it did. Um, flew, you know, 14 years, 15 years for the Marine Corps, uh, and for just supporting Marines at large, you know, uh, supporting troops on the ground. But then the last five years, uh, I was blessed to be nominated and, and picked to go support, uh, just as you said, to support the president, um, in his, you know, supporting his daily schedule as it applied to us and, and transportation. So, yeah, started in 2017, um, flew for four years supporting uh, President Trump and, and his administration. And then the last year finished up flying uh, President Biden and, and their administration. And just, I consider that such an honor, such an amazing thing for, for just a, a normal Marine helicopter pilot who just wanted to serve his country and, and fly Marines around and, and do what um, he felt called to do to, to then be chosen to do something that gets the notoriety that it, that it does. Um, and one of our previous commanding officers says it's, it's not, you know, exceptional Marines doing an ordinary mission. It's, it's ordinary Marines doing an exceptional mission. So, and that that's truly the embodiment of what we do. We're, we're just Marines that were plucked out of the Marine Corps and said and told to do a specific uh, task and support the president on his daily on his daily routine and we 
find it such an honor to, to do, and we do it to the best of our ability every single day. And the Marines that work on the helicopters come to work every day prepared and knowing, you know, the gravity of the mission. So it's, it was a lot of great trips, a lot of great stories, um, but a lot of honor and, and dignity to that job as well. All right, man. That is, that's incredible. And we're going to get back into that more, most likely just based on the ramble, but take me back. If you don't mind, take me back to the day you decided I want to be a United States Marine. Tell me about where you are. Um, and, uh, and kind of how you, how you landed at that as a, as a, um, I mean, when you, when you decide to join the military, any branch of the military, it's a, it's not something you do on a whim. It's something you commit a chunk of your life to. And in your case, you committed 20 years. Um, and I, I wonder if you can just take us back. If you can remember that moment when, when it, when it came upon you and however it did that I'm going to be a United States Marine. Here we go. Well, aviation's always been in my background. Um, uncles and cousins who flew air force and Navy. And then my dad started crop dusting in the panhandle of Texas when he was 14 years old. So, uh, that's, I think the seed that was kind of planted in me, he eventually became the manager of a couple airports, uh, Lubbock, Texas, Amarillo, Texas, and then Tulsa, Oklahoma. He managed those airports. So I I've grown up in and around aviation, going to a ton of air shows. And so aviation was always attractive to me, but that seed kind of sat dormant for a long time. And it wasn't until my junior year of college, I'm at ORU or or Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I have an internship that turned into a job, a summer job. I'm doing uh, marketing and logistics for a, a local company. And they said, hey, John, you know, when you graduate, we'd like to hire you and bring you on and, you know, offer you a job. And I thought, man, this is so exciting. I'm a junior in high school and a, or college, and I'm already getting offered a job. How great is it going to be to live in the city that I grew up in and around the friends that I have and doing this thing and was really charged by that. But then it, it sat there for a minute and I would say a couple months and I started thinking to myself, what am I doing? I'm 20 years old. I'm active. I'm healthy. I would love to just travel and see the world. And oh yeah, there's this aviation thing that I used to really love. And, um, I ironically on a whim decided to walk into a recruiter's office and the Marine Corps at the time said they needed people, uh, on aviation contracts. They needed to sign up, you know, young college students that, would go to officer candidate school and then go fill the, the aviation pipeline. And, and what year was this? Sorry to interrupt. I just want to, I want to give me a year. Yeah. So this is uh 2000, uh, 2001, August, 2001. All right. Think about so, that listener, August, 2001. Yeah. So I went in, I signed the contract uh, to be a, to go to flight school after college graduation. And then of course, September 11th happened, um, a month later and then comes graduation. I graduated, you know, in 2002 
And three months later, I'm find myself at officer Kenneth, you know, officer or at, uh, at OCS officer Kenneth school for college graduates. And, you know, then just start going through the wickets. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting that my entire career has been encapsulated by, uh, combat, you know, our, our nation has been at some sort of conflict or war over the past 20 years. And that's what has been my, you know, my experience in the Marine Corps, but, um, I find myself completely blessed and, and truly blessed by being driven back to that thing, which was aviation and serving the country and joining the Marine Corps, because it truly was what I feel opened the door to so many other things and to, to give me the experience that I have and, and to now bring on so many, um, great, uh, examples from my, from my kids and my wife and, and friends and the people I, I talk to on a daily basis. Awesome. What tell me, if you don't mind two questions, tell us a little bit about your, your wife and your boys. And, yeah. um, and when did you meet, when did you meet Ryan? Yeah. So, um, I've got, um, my wife is Ryan, uh, as you said, and we've been married 15 years in July. Um, and I've got two boys, uh, 11 and seven Lincoln and Hudson, just phenomenal boys, all boy, uh, all, you know, to every extreme, but, um, really met my wife. I mean, it, it's a God story. Um, because I won't go through it all, but I, when I was in third grade, she was in fifth grade. So she's a little older than me, but we went to a, a Christian school together in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I actually had a crush on her, uh, in third grade. Um, she moved away for 16 years, but it was really God that brought us back together. She decided to move back to Tulsa from California to, uh, go to a Bible school. And I was in Pensacola, Florida, doing some flight training and a hurricane was coming and they said, Hey, we need you to leave. We're not going to do any training for two weeks. Just go somewhere. And I went back home. And, um, the last day of those two weeks, I, I met her again and reminded her that I had a crush on her when I was in third grade, which, uh, I don't recommend doing cause it kind of freaked <laughs> her out. Um, but that started a long distance relationship for three years, um, of us dating and communicating, um, and then eventually getting married and it looking back at that string of events, there's so many things that were orchestrated by God for us to connect and be together, um, that I can't take, I can't look at those things. I can't look at those, those instances and think that our lives happened by coincidence. For example, when she was in fifth grade, her mom enrolled her in this Christian school, didn't have the money for her and her sister to go to school that year. The school board decided that they were going to sponsor a family. It came down to a tie vote, whether they're going to sponsor one family, or I'm sorry, two families with two kids or one family with two kids. The senior member had to decide that it was going to be her and her sister. And the senior member of the board that year, when I was in third grade was my dad. So deciding factor that she stayed in that Christian school for me to have a crush on her for 16 years later, for us to reunite and get married eventually after three years of dating. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That is crazy. 
that wasn't your lead-in story when you were reintroduced to her, right? Because I could understand how that might just kind of that might just kind of freak her out a little bit. Yeah, we did. We actually didn't know it was when I introduced her to my father uh, for the first time, and he started weeping. Um, and he said he he kind of told us the whole story because neither one of us really truly knew that. Oh man. Um. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so you're were you and Ryan married when when you deployed? Let's go back. You you told me when we when we rambled three weeks ago that that you actually deployed. Um, and so I know that you did. When you deployed um, to the to the wars that had started the month after you signed up for the Marine Corps, where where was that? Where were those deployments as it related to Ryan? Yeah, so the, I've done four deployments. Uh, the first deployment we were dating. Um, and, and kind of newly, newly dating. Um, but I deployed on a Mew, which is a Marine expeditionary unit, essentially helicopters are on a, on a flat deck on a ship supporting the Marines that are <clears throat> underneath. And we take them and drop them off on the shore, but we deployed, um, to the Pacific and where I was out there for eight months, came back, uh, we got engaged. And then that engagement was prolonged by me going to Iraq for eight months, got back from Iraq and we got married. And then uh, shortly after I deployed again on another Marine expeditionary unit, this time was off the coast of uh, Yemen and Oman and in that area. Um, and then after that third deployment came back, we had uh, a couple children and then I deployed once more um, in 2016 to Afghanistan. And that was uh, eight months as well. So uh, each deployment kind of was during a different um, period in our life. And it was, they were all unique, all different, um, one totally different locations for deployment, but then totally different, just life circumstances that we were navigating through each one, none of which were easy. Um, and all unique in, in for various situations, various ways. All right. So, um, when, when we talked, um, just a month or so ago, John, you asked me at the end of the call when, when we were rambling, I asked, well, why did you call, why did you reach out to me? What, what, what was going on in you? Usually by the time somebody schedules a call with me, there's been a lot that's been going on. Usually by the time they muster the courage, which it is to reach out to some random dude on the internet who's got a story that's triggering something in them. It's, it's stirring something up. Um, by the time they go through, they read the post, they listen to the podcast and they come, they, they reach out to schedule a call and they come into the call. There's been something going on. And I know that. And I asked you, I said, so, so what, what brought you here? And what you said was um, a couple of really interesting things. You said, I love I love being, I'm inspired and motivated to become part of something that helps other people, especially men. I'm, I'm drawn to that. And so I was drawn to your message, uh, you said. Um, and you, towards the end, you said, um, I, I'm here because I want to help you. This is what you said to me. And I said, well, what do you have in mind? And you said, I don't know. And I said, well, I've got something in mind. I want to do a podcast. And you said, I'll do it. I said, okay, well, here's the thing if we do a podcast, I want to be able to ask you anything. You said, it's done. And, and then you said something interesting. You said, I will talk about anything that relates to my life, including, um, the challenges that 
you went through in your marriage when you lost your daughter. And I had already decided that I wanted to do a podcast with you before you dropped that. Um, and I, I, uh, and that's as much as a story as I know. And one of the things I love about this podcast is I love to learn things in real time with the people who are here. I don't know the story. I don't know where she sits, fits into the sequence with Lincoln and Hudson. I don't know where she fits into the sequence of your life. I just know that the image of you that we've talked about so far in the 20 minutes of this podcast, the image of you as dad, the image of you as college educated, the image of you as a Marine Corps officer, the image of you wearing a uniform for 20 years and flying the United States president around has a really, really sharp, different undertone somewhere. And I'm wondering if you can just take, I'm just going to ask you, you start the story wherever you want, yeah. but share that story with me. Um, well, let's, let's go back real quick. Uh, I don't want to dismiss that story, but the reason I reached out to you is because eight months ago I left the Marine Corps and I left the Marine Corps as a, a pilot for the, for the president, you know, it's, it's pretty attractive and I couldn't land a job. I couldn't land a job for whatever reason was out there. I, you know, either people thought I was just should remain being a pilot or, you know, and that's the thing that I should do, or I was overqualified or underqualified or whatever. And my whole sense was trying to convey that, Hey, I'm a Marine Corps officer. Um, the leadership thing has been ingrained in me over 20 years and I can, I can do whatever I put my mind to, but convincing people of that in a 30 minute interview was, was difficult, but that was God that allowed me to not bite off on, on the first thing that came around, because what that enabled me to do was reinvent myself, put trust back into the skills that I had and who he made me to be and start redefining who John is. You know, people always said, well, you're a Marine Corps pilot and flew the president, whatever. That's what I did. That's not who I was. And <clears throat> I think in so many men's lives, there's this, this, there's, there's a lack of distinction. They think that what they do is who they are. And that's not true. Who they are is who they are. They're men, their husbands, their fathers, their sons, brothers, um, believers, they're all these things, but what they do is different and there's value to that as well. But I, I wanted to instill that in myself and I wanted to now instill that in other people. And that's how we got connected because you are part of that in reinstallation in men that they are not defined by what they do, whether that's a success or a failure, they're defined by who they are and how they bounce back from tragedy, how they how they strive on a daily basis to improve and how they grow through their experiences. So that's how we got connected. And that impact is, is huge. And I noticed that you were doing it and I thought, man, if he's doing it and doing it well, I want to tap into that and, and figure out how I can do it alongside of him. So that's how we got connected. But um, the story of, of my daughter is, is pretty interesting because, um, one, 
I told my wife when we got married, I said, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very long-term strategic thinker. I said, listen, um, I will, <laughs> it's very selfish of me, but I said, we, we can have three kids. I said, or we stop after the first girl. Cause I'm only want to pay for one marriage, only one wedding. She said, well, what if we have, you know, two boys and then a girl? And I said, well, we're done. That's three. She said, well, what if a girl comes first? And I said, well, we're done. Cause that's the first girl. Uh, so our dream was always to have a boy first and then a girl, two kids, um, and then be done. Well, that actually happened. So Lincoln uh, was born in 2012 and Brooklyn was born in 2015. And um, it's actually, it actually happened at a very interesting time. So we had just uh, been reassigned to move to Hawaii. And I was out there as um, kind of the, the high point of my career at, um, in performance um, because I had to, to get this job to catapult me onto different things. But I was very involved with work, um, very involved. And we already had a child. And then Brooklyn came along. And Brooklyn... Um, no difficulties in the, in the pregnancy, um, nothing to be expected. She did come, uh, three weeks early, but you know, that's fairly normal. And from the moment she was born, it just was, um, her body just started to, to, you know, just go the, uh, you know, the wrong way. Lungs started, uh, failing heart started failing kidneys, um, started breaking down. And that kind of propelled us into an 86 day waiting period where she went to the NICU and she spent 86 days in the NICU. And my wife and I went from this place living in Hawaii with a son, our daughter on the way, just like we had planned um, to spending every waking moment in the NICU um, to try to be alongside her. But as we were there, our faith just continued to increase. And we continued to believe in a miracle. We continued to believe that our outcome was going to be different than the prognosis that we were given. Um, and we were, we were incredibly optimistic. Um, so much so that I told the 300 Marines that worked in maintenance for me in Hawaii, that they were going to see my daughter walk through the hangar uh, one day and, and that was going to be the end of our story. And, and that was going to be the healing that I expected. Well, a couple of weeks after I made that bold proclamation, she passed away. And that instance, um, that tragedy separated my wife and I for a period of time, because we did not know how to experience grief. And we didn't know the complexities that would lead from, from her passing. And one of which was just the way you communicate grief within each other. Now backtrack because my wife and I were blessed for three years to have a long distance relationship where we talked about everything. I mean, I knew when we got married, the day we got married, where she was going to put her toothbrush and how she was going to clean the house. And, and we knew everything, but we had never talked about how to grieve. And so now here we are with a, with a, you know, two-year-old son and this loss on an Island 
where we have no relatives, no family, no, you know, no real friends, um, doing this thing together. And we just didn't know how to do it. And, um, we, even though she went to Bible school, um, and I grew up as a believer, we had the biggest test of our faith. I mean, it was truly that black marble that, that I had talked about earlier. It was pulling that out and now re- recognizing that we weren't prepared for this situation, but thank God we had friends, um, on the mainland here in the States that just really poured into us over the phone and really encouraged me to just be strong and be, um, continue to communicate. And I had to go back to my wife and say, listen, I don't know why this happened. I can't explain it, but I know two things. I lost my daughter. I'm not going to lose you. And let's start with back with just God is good. And he loves us. Let's not try to explain why we lost Brooklyn, where that's going to go, but let's just come to the belief that God is good and he loves us and let's build, rebuild from there. And those two simple things started the rebuilding of our foundation, both in our faith, in each other, and the way we communicate. And it has now been, you know, eight years. And I would say that our marriage is stronger. Our faith is stronger um, than it's ever been. I still can't answer why, you know, she was born and 86 days later, we lost her. But I know one thing, Lon, I know that her life for 86 days on this earth has made me so much more um, brave and so much more confident in why I'm here that now I'm reaching out in ways that I never would have if she was alive and turned out to be a healthy daughter. So, um, so she passed away, you know, and that process occurred. And then we were blessed two years later with our youngest son, Hudson, who's now seven. So she was right in the middle of two boys and, and man, it's crazy to see, but, but Hudson has so many things that we think Brooklyn, so many values and so many characteristics that we think Brooklyn would have had, um, that we, we feel that she's right here with us, um, and know that one day we'll see her again in heaven. So, um, I, I think that her life is a testament to how powerful lives can be if we truly fully live them out and then continue to pass on those stories once, once those individuals are gone. Can you share, are there things that you can point to um, from a personality standpoint and, and really from a priority standpoint? Um, you know, you said something so interesting. Um, you said that you were, you and your wife, you and Ryan were not, there was two black marbles as I heard it. There's of course the, the black marble of, of Brooklyn and then the follow-up because you weren't prepared for that. It led to the next black marble of, of your, your inability to know how to process it for yourself. Of course, nobody knows how to do that until you're in it. Yeah. yeah. Black marble one, black marble two is, um, how do you use those around you? How you communicate, you know, the, the classic, the classic, you've got an emergency in a cockpit is, is aviate, navigate, communicate. That's it. If, if you do, when, when the master caution light comes on, I mean, that that's a sequence aviate, where am I? What am I doing? How bad is it? Navigate. Where do I get down? How do I get down? Communicate tower. Here's my problem. Here's where I'm going. And, and, you know, 
when you boil that down to life and friendships, you boil it down to dads and kids, and you boil it down to husbands and wives, the same, the same is true. One of the, one of the things that is so um, consistent across, across dudes I, I talk to who are going through something and they can't articulate it and they can't, they, they can't put it into their own words, but they, use, they see my words and like, yes, these are, these are some of the things I'm feeling. And they can't communicate with themselves and they haven't communicated with their spouse what it is they're feeling. And that puts them at such a disadvantage. And I, and I hope that, you know, one of, the, one of the goals of this podcast, one of the goals of your story for me, for this podcast and for everybody listening is that this podcast and your story, John, is a conversation starter. This is what my wife calls it. When she listens to my podcast, she says, I listen because it helps start conversations that need to happen aviate, navigate, communicate. And, and it's so important and it's so inspiring that you and Ryan, um, realized that, you know, uh, helicopter term, you're in a tailspin and you had to, you had to get control back over the situation and you went all the way back to aviate, navigate, and you had to do it by communicating. And I, I think that is so relevant in every situation that, that we, we face. Yeah. I, I use this term now, um, sometimes with my boys or my wife and I use it, but we, we go back to the truths, what's true about right now. And that's, that to me is kind of the aviate part. You know, you said you need to get a master caution light and you don't know what that correlates to right away, but the truth is you're still in the air. You're still flying. Right. So our truth was we're still married. We still love each other. We still have this marriage that we want to see succeed. That's our, that's our truth. The navigate is, you know, okay, now we've had this thing happen. How do we change the sine wave back to a, to a growth? How do we, how do we get back the altitude that we lost? in worrying about this, you know, situation. And that was going back to, to the truths and going and saying, okay, now we have to, we, we can't continue to spiral. We can't continue to go down. We have to go up from here. How do we do that? And then that's the communicating part. And, and what I learned from that situation is men and women just grieve differently. I didn't know this until after Brooklyn's passing, but my wife I mean, she, she carried this baby for nine months. So she had a nine month longer relationship than I did with Brooklyn. And she would grieve, uh, you know, uh, on a daily basis for a while. And then it was more sporadic and, and my daughter was born on Christmas day. Um, so now Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus and we celebrate the birth of Brooklyn. And, um, that has a whole different type of grieving, Whereas I was, was very, uh, I don't want to say transactional, but it was, it was the birth happened on this day, you know, December 25th. And then on this day, you know, I got to hold Brooklyn for the first time and it's very date specific. And then she passed away and we grieved her. And then my, I felt my responsibility at the time was to just be the, the stability. And so I, I, kind of forsook the tragedy for let's just keep this family dynamic going. Let's just keep pressing on. 
Um, but then I would, I would go off and in Hawaii, I picked up uh, paddleboarding and I would go off a quarter mile from shore and just start beating the water and slapping my paddle on the waves, yelling at God saying, why would you give us this daughter for 86 days and then, and then take her away. And I'd get it out of my system and then I'd come back and, you know, drive home and I'd be perfectly fine. She wouldn't see that. And so there was this miscomparison that we were, that she was grieving and I wasn't. And we had to then come to this realization that we were both truly grieving. It just looked different. And while we didn't understand the reasons behind each other's grief, we didn't have to. We just needed to know that we each thought about her and grieved her differently. And, and then that was going to be our new normal. So. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that might be kind of hard to answer and, and you kind of proclaimed that you don't know yet. So that that's, I'm really putting you on the spot. So 86 days, Christmas baby, 86 days, the daughter you always wanted and you had her. Um, and, and you, you've confessed that on one hand, you feel like you, you can't be certain yet why it was limited to 86 days. But earlier in the conversation, you also talked about all of the lessons, the life you're living differently because of those 86 days and because of that Christmas baby. And I'm wondering if, if you can, if you can just guess, if you had to wager a guess of what, what was the purpose how have you changed and what might the purpose be for uh, the blessing of those 86 days? Man. You know, it's, <laughs> we, for eight years, we've contemplated, you know, why this happens. And I just keep coming back to that our lives were, were very, they were very normal. They were very, calculated. I mean, I, you know, I told you about the three kids that I wanted and I got my two, they were very planned and ordinary. And, uh, I think that this experience was used, it is being used as a wake up call for my wife and I to reach out to other people that may not have the foundation in their faith, in their marriage, in their family structure, that it's our ability to reach out and say, we know what you're going through. I understand. Let us help you continue on and change that trajectory of this situation for the good. That's, that's what I think. Um, and that's how I'm trying to use it is I'm, I'm trying to find those instances where my life experiences, whatever they are, positive, negative, and there's a plenty of both. I can use those to say to somebody, I understand what you're going through. I understand. And I'm here with you and I'm going to see you succeed. The, the, it's very easy for us to walk up to somebody who's going through a situation that we walked out of successfully and say, I know what you're going through. It's going to be okay. But it's hard for us to walk up to somebody who's going through what we have gone through before and we didn't make it out. All right. 
it's very hard for us to go up and encourage them that they're going to make it out okay. But it's also a good thing for them to see, oh, wait, not everything happens the way we expect it to. Not everything happens, you know, the way we plan. But Romans 8.28 says that for those that love God, all things happen for good. It doesn't say the good things, doesn't say the bad things. It says all things, all things happen for good. So that means even though you don't understand what you're going through, and even though you can't figure out how this is going to work into a good situation, the Bible says it will work into a good situation. I, uh, I talk a lot about, I, you know, normal 40 is, is it found me when I felt like I was in my life's halftime. Um, I'm 49 now. I just turned 49 and probably around the age of 45. I, I, it started to burble in me. It's something started to well up in me. Um, and I, I was working in a job that I really enjoyed and I was working for a company that I really admired and I was doing work that I felt was important. But at the end of the day, I still felt like there was something more like, like I was, I was missing something. And I realized when it, when I really sat down and I tried to digest, what is that? What, what is this thing I'm going through and why I didn't want this? I don't, I don't want to feel the way I feel. I don't want to not feel fulfilled when I've got all of this goodness, when I've got this great job and I've got this, and I'm supported by a great company and I've got a great boss and I've got great colleagues and I make plenty of money to do way more than I ever thought possible. 10 years ago, I was, I, I, why can't I just feel good about that? And so I really wrestled with that in, and um, I've come to discover since then, fast forward a number of years in 437 conversations, just like this one, I've come to discover that we all go through that. And that might, you know, that that's a very bold statement when I say we all go through that, but I feel like anybody who's dedicated their life to something and you did, you dedicated your life to that point to a spouse and the Marine Corps. That was it. Um, and anybody who's done that over a period of time, I believe arrives at this place where they, they, something happens, um, whether it happens because of an event like it did with you, I believe death and diagnosis or drinking or a corporate downsizing, all those D's, those can, those can wake you up. Um, or it just kind of settles in slowly and, and it's, it forces you to, to decide, but it's this halftime event. And, and as you transition into your second half, you, you kind of want to take a clean look on what your life for the second half of your life. That is a long ass time for the second half of your life. Who is it you want to be? And it doesn't have to be who you were in your first half. It doesn't have to be in the Marine Corps. Um, what are the ingredients and the elements of, of the life you want to live for your second half? And so I would ask you that question is you, is you, so you've retired from the Marine Corps. You haven't retired from life. You haven't retired as no. being a dad or a husband. And in fact, I would suggest that you're just getting started. You're just getting started. Your second half story is in the top of the first inning. Um, and you're, you're probably not even into the plate yet. I would love for you to share what you think your second half story, when you fast forward over the course of the next 40 years, what is your second half story likely to be? What do you hope it is? That's it. You can have hopes and dreams. What do you hope yeah. your second half story is? Well, Lon, I'm going to 
I'm going to answer that question with, with some advice that was given to me. It's not wrong. It's, it's just advice. But as I was leaving the Marine Corps, one of my mentors said to me, now, John, as you leave, you're, you'll have a little pension and you'll have some retirement. But this is, you're in your early 40s. This is the key time. This is your most, the, the biggest opportunity for you to make the most money in your life. So you need to hit the ground running and you need to do it right and you need to do it well. And don't accept, don't accept, you know, less than what you should be making, right? He was very focused on the bottom dollar. We're in the key earning years of our life. I'm 42. Uh, that is the, the key time that we should be cranking in the money. <clears throat> and I took that. And that was a seed that was planted. And when I started to transition out of the Marine Corps and, and move out from Virginia to Colorado Springs, that was, that was sitting there being cultivated. And then I had somebody, when I got out here, Say, hey, John, you're in the key prime of your life. You're in the early 40s. You're in the time where your kids are young and they're impressionable and you're hitting a stride in your marriage and your friends are the friends that you've established and, and made. Now is the time that you really press in and you give them and your faith everything you got. <clears throat> So on the one hand, I got, I'm in this key earning potential period. And the other hand, I'm in this time where I mean the most to the people around me, which one do I want? <clears throat> and I truly had to think about that. Not, not that it was a hard decision, but I had to truly think, okay, is, is, is it one or the other? And it's not one or the other. You can have both, but what's your focus on? You can have both if you don't focus on the earning and the potential, and you don't focus on just neglecting, uh, you know, and, and just neglecting work and putting it in for your, to your family and your kids. But I truly believe that if you focus on <clears throat> making the relationships that you have in front of you better and making it better for your kids and your wife that then it's going to transpose into what you're doing for money, for that career, for that stability. And so the answer to your question is for 20 years, I've put my family essentially um, on hold as I deployed and, and achieve these, you know, different ranks and different deployments and these different goals I came out here with the desire to plug in and be closer to my boys and my wife and bring back the, the friends that I had had and maybe neglected for, for the time that I was in the Marine Corps. And now I'm finding that there's so much value, not monetary value, but there's so much value in that, that now what I'm doing for money is so much more rewarding and so much more genuine and I'm able to give so much more depth to that than I ever would have if I just came out here and tried to get into a contracting job or just was, but was moved by the bottom dollar. 
And talk talk a little bit about what you are doing now for for hire. Um, so I'm I'm kind of a fish attracted to shiny objects, but um, the the first and foremost thing that I do is I I'm growing out a coaching business, and I'm taking men who are just like me, who have limiting beliefs, who are experiencing imposter syndrome, meaning they've done something for a greater part of their life. They think that they're defined by that thing and they've got to stay close to that specialty. For me, it was flying helicopters that that's going to be what they do for the rest of their lives. But I'm, I'm here to say that I did that. I did. I flew helicopters for 20 years. I reached a pretty good end of my story. And now I can reinvent myself. Um, even though it is hard, even though you do have this feeling that you're no good and why should anybody trust you doing that thing? But I'm here to help men uh, realize that they're only limited by what they think they're limited by. They only, they're limited by their beliefs. They they're limited by society, not by themselves. And they just need to to cultivate that and refine that idea and, and apply a little bit of action. Um, so I'm, I'm coaching and then I started, uh, I do have a passion for real estate. So I started a real estate development company, um, <clears throat> who's actively looking for projects to, to rent, you know, renovate and, and develop. And, and that's kind of cool. Cause we're just essentially putting a facelift on, places that people have walked by for 20 years and they, they, they see it and they see a two-story building. And for them, that's always going to be a two-story building. And that's the only potential it's ever got. But for us, it's going to be a six-story building and be so much more than it could be. So it's kind of a, a cool euphemism on, on what I'm doing in the coaching career is taking somebody that sees themselves for what they've been for 20 years and renovating them for so much more. Um, so yeah, those are the two primary things I'm doing right now. Um, that's awesome. And do you have a website? Um, so we do. Um, I, I am on LinkedIn. Um, and that's where usually the coaching, most of the coaching clients uh, can reach me. Um, but we also have a website. It's uh, aspire, www.aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E, dev, D-E-V, group, uh, .com. And uh, I have two other partners who were just, we just all kind of recognized that there was a pivot in our life. And, and we, I've been surrounded by teams uh, for a long time and then ended with a very effective team and, and wanted to take the team mentality that you see in the Marine Corps or Navy SEALs or Army Rangers and take that and transition that into everyday life. And, and that's what I'm truly trying to build out um, in this development company. So. thanks for sharing all that. You know, one of the, one of the things that, uh, that I tell people every time they're, they're thinking about getting to where you are or they find themselves where you are is everybody, you know, especially planners, people who have been really successful and they've, they either have something they're thinking about leaving, or they just left something and they're wondering what to start. They always think they need to know what exactly their business is. Like you left the Marine Corps, you know what the Marine Corps is, you know, everything about it. 
you know where the aircraft are stored, you know how the mechanics work, you know everything about the Marine Corps. And, and in your mind, you equate that with what you should know about your future. And it's just not the case. You don't have to worry about the finish. You have to worry about the beginning. You have to worry about the start. And the fact that you're unsure in 10 years where either of these are going to be shouldn't, you know, I'm going to give you advice that's going to be easy for me to give and hard for you to take, but don't worry about that. Don't, don't worry about that. You're in phase one and two of what I, you know, of a four stage process, which is to explore you're beyond exploring You're uh, because you've created a business. Step two is invest. You've created a website. You're investing in yourself. You're investing in people and you're testing. That's step three. And you'll know, you'll do this for a period of time and it will answer for you. This is who I am. And this is where I should go or it is not. And then you'll pivot and there'll be something else that's just waiting for you to explore it, invest in it and test it. And if you trust that that's going to find you, man, it gives you a lot of courage to, to just go set out and, and, uh, and go to work and you're doing that work. And, and I have all of the confidence in the world that your story, your experience, your decency, and your willingness to talk about it, um, and your faith are going to be there. Those are five ingredients that are truly things that are, that are stacked in your favor. One of the things that I find fascinating is that, man, it's amazing how really successful people off the charts, successful people find themselves wrestling with who they really are and wondering if they really have the courage to stand in it. Um, and, and it's universal. It's universal. I did a, I did a speech to a, to, um, a graduation, uh, honors college graduation about a year ago. And I asked the honors college Dean, I said, so what, did, what, did, what should I talk about with these, with these students? And she, these are the best of the best. And she's like, you know what? Um, they all struggle with imposter syndrome. And I'm like, are you kidding me? These people? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the whole message to that, to that group is that the hardest thing, and, and this is true for everyone. I believe it after, after a 20 year military career for you, after 20 year executive career for me, the hardest thing you have to wrestle with eventually is who am I really? And do I have the courage to go do it? Yep. And that is something that takes a, it's not obvious. It's not free. Nobody shows up and does it for you. You have to go figure it out. And it's scary. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I'll say um, that when you, when you get into your forties and you've had a successful career is that people don't know how hard shit was to get where you are. They don't know all the things you had to do, the failures you had. And a lot of times we don't like to talk about our failures. We don't like to wear them, but you shared with us, some of the hardest things in your life. And once one, we just bounced right over the top of, and, and at some point, and maybe we can talk about it just a few minutes. We're already going long, but it's so fascinating to me because I hear it. I hear it again and again. The, the people who find me have one thing in common, one major thing in common. I mentioned that they, the thing they have in common is that they all have dedicated their life to something. So you, in your case, it's the military, a career in the military for others. It's doctors, people who have been in the ER for the last six, eight, 10, 12, 15 years. And before that, they were students for eight or 10 or 15 years, yeah. attorneys, partners, accounting firm, uh, partners, you know, people who have dedicated their whole life to accounting and small business owners, business owners who have dedicated their whole life to a single business that they started from their college dorm room or shortly after college, they get to this point where they, where they wrestle with something and 
and they want to go have a chance to be something else. And when you transitioned out, here's my point. You, you, you mentioned, and I hear from so many people in the military after they transitioned out after um, just leading themselves and leading team through the world's most impressive leadership school, the United States military. And they find themselves on the other side of the rotation into the civilian world, and they find themselves alone. And they find themselves questioning their capabilities. And they find themselves wondering, was this the right decision? Was Where's the support that I thought would be here? And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about, and you said that's when you found Normal 40. Can you talk a little bit more about how you processed that and advice for people? Because there's a lot of people who feel that right now, advice you have for them. Well, uh, I found Normal 40 when I was back on the trajectory, back on the growth side. But there was a point where I got out here to, to Colorado Springs and I realized I had just quit the best thing going in my life. The pay was good. Benefits are great. The people I was working with are, are high achievers. Um, and I, I was comfortable doing what I was doing. And I walked away from it all. And quite frankly, I walked away from aviation as a whole, which, as you know, is a very lucrative career for those that decide to go into the airlines and it, it can be a great lifestyle. And I walked away from it. And the first thing I had to tackle was this decision that I made. And at first it was a very, it was a very scary thought. What did I do? What, what door did I just shut or bridge did I just burn? But then I had to think about, I have been dwelling on this idea and this notion and something's been growing inside of me for months and months and a year before something been leading me to this. I need to trust what that feeling is. Not this, not this split moment of being scared and not knowing what to do immediately. That feeling can drive you to two things. It can drive you to greatness and drive you to, I've got to get out there and do something. Or it can drive you to, I don't know what to do. I just, I better, I got to stay in bed. I got to just hang out. I, I may have shot myself in the foot and I don't know how to recover. And I, I said this today, actually, to one of my clients this morning during a coaching session. I said, when you come down to make the decision, whether it's yes or no, right or left, black or white, you've put the thought into it before you made that decision. Make the decision and go. Start. Because inaction is the greatest uh, detractor from success. But action, even if it's in the wrong direction, is still action. They taught us in the Marine Corps. Even just start. Even if you made the wrong decision, go with it and adjust adapt to that decision that you made and, and re refine what your actions are after that. And so just starting was the biggest thing and starting me for me was, all right, well, I want to, I want to, I've been kind of coaching Marines for the past 20 years and helping them develop their lives. I should just 
I need to take this ability, this leadership thing and, and make it real in outside the Marine Corps. So let's just figure it out. And, and fear sets in and well, how am I going to get clients and how am I going to, uh, you know, set up structure to this business? And it was like, I don't know, but let's start. So it was Lon, it was as easy as deciding the day I did to say, I'm a coach. And, and I said it at a, a, a party, my wife kind of looked at me and she was like, you're a coach. When, when did you start being a coach? And I was like, today. <laughs> and that made all the difference. And the next day I wrote a contract. Two days later, I went and spoke to somebody. A couple of days after that, I went and spoke to a big, big group event. Five days after that, I already had a, I had a contract signed and guys like, I want you to, to coach me, help me out. And all of a sudden things just start being put in motion, but it all started by that one decision I made to get away from the imposter syndrome of, well, I, I don't think I can coach. I've just been a helicopter pilot for 20 years and I don't know to no, I'm going to do this thing. Let's do it. Let's start. And yeah, I've had to refine and make adjustments but it was starting. Man, I think you just nailed it. I think that's probably the perfect place to, to end. I'm going to have one more question for you, um, but just start. It's, it sounds easy. And for dudes like us who are, who look to anyone else listening, who's feeling like you and I felt one year and two years and three years ago, they're going to think, well, it's not possible for them. And I tell everyone the same thing. Three years ago, I would have thought the same thing. If, no, three years ago, I did think the same thing. I waited years, literally years to finally go do what I'm doing now. And I did it when I realized that I didn't, I didn't have to quit in order to start, That's right. but I had to start if I ever wanted to quit. And when you realize that you have those options for, for you, it was in the Marine Corps. For me, I was a public company executive and I started while I was still I started exploring step one, start exploring, just figure out what's, what's going on. Um, while I was still, while I was still getting compensated. And by the time I took, I, I made the leap, it was two years. Um, and, uh, and it totally changed, but no different than you. One day I just decided, and, and ironically, somebody found me on LinkedIn. I was starting to write. It was very benign, very below radar. Not, not like the stuff I do now. And he asked me, if he could hire me as a coach. Now I had got my coaching certification for my company. I was a coach inside my company. So I had that, but uh, same, same thing. If he, I wonder if this individual wouldn't have said, Hey, can I hire you? Um, if how long I would have wrestled with, I'm not ready versus, all right, let's just do this and, and, and get going. And, and just kind of put the, put our own opinions of ourselves and our own self-doubt to the side and say, Nope, I'm a coach. Today I start. I'm going to start exploring and I'll know in one day, one week, one month, or one year, if this was a good decision or not, but today I'm a coach. I just absolutely love that. Yeah. So my last question for you, John, anybody, I want you to channel. I want you to, of course, use your experience and I want you to channel the, the people who are usually listening are the people who have a, have a bet left in them. They're the people who want to do something that they're unsure they're capable of even though that's the wrong assumption, they're unsure they should do because they're the provider and they're unsure they'll be supported when they do it. What advice do you have for that person who wants so desperately to have a different life in one year from now than they've got now? What advice do you have for them 
that might be, just may be the thing they need to start? Man. Well, just starting is, is the key, but really, I think we get, we get sucked into the comparison of successful people and we don't realize where they've come from. You know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in, in his book. <clears throat> I think it's the tipping point or outliers. One of the, one of the two where he talks about these, you know, the greats, the Beatles, you know, Steve jobs and, and Bill Gates and all these individuals that have made names for themselves, but he, but he wants to really highlight <clears throat> where they came from. And it's the 10,000 hours of work that they did that no one saw that was under the radar that was in the basement at late at night before they hit greatness and showed up on our buys radar. And sometimes those, those hours are long, you know, that, I mean, this, this picture behind me, both of them flying the president, these are, these are highlights of 20 years of work and thousands of thousands of hours in the cockpit, thousands of hours in the simulator, thousands of hours, chair flying, studying, but this is what people see. Not the grueling it out and the grueling it out portion is not sexy and it's not fun, but sometimes it's the most rewarding because you truly find out who you are, what you're worth, what you're capable of, your strengths and weaknesses. And I would tell people that whatever they want to be from a year from now, that's what they want to be is probably not where they're going to start. But that process, the couple yeses, the couple no's, the couple places where they step out in unsurety are going to be the things that make this place so much more rewarding when they get there. I'm going through some of that right now. I'm going through some unsure decisions, but I'm just going because I know a year from now, I'm going to look back and I'll either be filled with a reward or regret reward of man. Look where I came from. Look at the successes, the 1% every day that added up to this or the regret of man a year ago. I had this desire in my heart, this desire for change, and I didn't do anything about it. And I'm no better off now than I was a year ago. But that desire is probably burning more deeply than it was a year from, you know, a year ago. And so that process, that process of kind of refinement is, it's, it's easy to talk about when you've got good examples to refer back from or two, but, but it's hard. Um, but I just encourage men, especially just start, enjoy the process. A couple of no's will turn into a yes. A couple of yeses might turn into a no, but you and I both know that we're different people than we were a year ago. Cause we just started and put it, put a little bit of action to it. I, uh, 
next month I launch my book, The Trade, and I'm so excited to bring it. And one of the key points I make in the in the very end of the book is the story of your life on your last day is not going to end. The book of your life is not going to end with the two words at the end. It's going to end with one of two sentences. Sentence one is, I'm glad I did. And sentence two is, I wish I had tried. And we're writing those sentences right now. And I think that totally exemplifies exactly what you're saying. Um, just, just get going. Find, find someone who's done it. Ask him to coffee and just see where it goes. Lean and curious. John, I can't thank you enough for, for being here, for sharing your story um, and, um, and for all you're doing for, for dudes. And I, I'm really hopeful that this podcast is going to find, all I needed to do is find one person that reaches out to you, reaches out to me, reaches out to a friend and changes the, the trajectory of their life 1%. That's why we're here. It's the only reason we're doing it. And so I, I admire you for doing it. I admire you for your service. I admire you for sharing your story. Please thank Ryan and Lincoln and Hudson. And I need to say this. One of the, one of the things you said that I could visualize so clearly in this conversation was when you went back to the 300 Marines who were stationed at your uh, base in Hawaii and you told them, that you were going to walk Brooklyn through that hangar one day. I can see that purely and cleanly, but I can't help but think that every day she's got your hand and she's walking you through this. And I absolutely believe that with my, with my whole heart. And, uh, and I think given her spirit, you better hang on my friend. It's going to go places. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for what you're doing for the men in your community, because 1%, it's what I, that's kind of what I coach on 1% better every day. Enjoy the, the process and respect the progress that you've made over the past, however much time. Um, so, and, and you're doing that, man. So thank you. All right. I'll put in the show notes, how to, how to get a hold of John and where to find him. And for us, that's sign off, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Lon. And I'll Appreciate see you it. on the next page. All right. I'll do an outro after this and, uh, and that, but I'm not going to edit one word out of this. It's going to go, it's going to go as is. Uh, I hope it's okay. <laughs> it, was, it was great, man. You did fantastic. Um, I want to say this, uh, uh, whether this helps or not, this, this podcast, but I, I truly want to plug into whatever you're doing. If I can, um, be, a be a, just an advocate, funnel people your way, um, push people to, to pick up your book, whatever it is, think about it over the next couple of days, weeks, and let me know. Cause I, I, I said this when we first met being in aviation, being a man, being in our forties, you know, coming from these super high levels of, you know, uh, of placement and, and progress and success to starting over. Um, I want to help in, in any way that that's possible. So if you're ever out here doing a thing or you're ever close, um, I, I just want to help out. So you got it. And I would love that. Uh, I mean, the easiest thing you can do, you just did one. I mean, that's not the easiest thing. 
you just did one hard thing. One thing that most people don't do. I don't mean easy in the sense of, of easy to do. It's just, yeah. I think you know what I mean, but, um, promoting my book is going to be helpful just because I, th- I'm, I am really proud of it. It is okay. purely me. Um, and I think it's gonna, it's gonna help a lot of dudes just to wake up to the control that they have and they've given away. Um, and, uh, and I think that's great. Um, so that'll be super helpful, but I do have in my, there's, I really believe some a year, I'm a year into this. Um, and it's sort of amazing what's going on. It's still just me. Um, and so I'm, I'm getting it, uh, you know, my, my calendars are full and I'm kind of getting out over my skis a little bit, but I still have another dream. And that's, that's that I want to bring people together. I believe that doing this is great and helpful, but I have something calling me to two things. One, bringing people to the farm. So every, every picture you see and post from me at the farm, I've got a calling to bring people there and do, do some fellowship there that help people in real time and then do something in Colorado in the mountains. Uh, and I'm sure that came from, I'm a flatlander from South Dakota, but, um, in the, when I worked at Raven and I look, keep looking up here because the building I worked in for 14 years, I'm in a temporary office, but the building I worked in is right there, right across the street. So it's kind of, kind of awesome. Uh, but, um, for, for about 12 of those 15 years, we did strategic planning retreats that I was responsible for in a bunch of cases at Raven, uh, in, in, in the, in the mountains of Colorado, somewhere, you name it all over in the mountains. And it was such a wonderful place to have deep dwell time personally, and then nature to go escape into, whether it was hiking a 14 er or just hiking what was back behind the resort. And, yeah. and, and so that's my other half of my dream. And man, when I come out there to do that, Let's figure out how to, how to make this work. Done. Done. That would be spectacular. And then yeah. we can go flying together at some point too. Let's not rule that out. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. How I love can it. I be supportive of you, man? I want to, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, look, I don't know. I, I, uh, hopefully I'll put in the show notes, a link to your stuff. I don't know who reads show notes or whatever, yeah. but uh, anything I can do there, just let me know. Well, I mean, if, if you recognize somebody and, and, I have a, a mentor here, not a mentor, a friend. Um, his name's John McCaskill, Navy SEAL. He is a Navy SEAL commander. He does um, he does mindfulness. Men talking mindfulness is his brand, but he does um, meditation and mindfulness and kind of a lot of introspective stuff. But we we share a lot of you know coaching clients actually. He says to me, Hey, I got this guy that's interested in coaching. I don't have the time, or maybe he's, it's not really what I'm looking for, but you know, I, I think the coaching community, us, he and I, you and I, you know, we just, we have access to these people that don't know what they need. Right. And so as, as we farm out these, these needs that they have, if there's somebody that I can help that you think, Hey man, John's right up this guy's alley. Um, I'd love to to do that. And the same for me to you. And <clears throat> so that's all, that's all I need is just a little bit of support. And, and this, like you said, if one person listens to this and hears us and takes action and makes the decision to, to 
put their family first or their kids first or be more proactive in those things, man, then we've done the right thing today. Yeah, I totally agree. John McCaskill, that name is so familiar. Is, is it not? Is he, is he an author? Has he written anything? Uh, I don't know if he has. I, uh, that's all right. It, yeah. Um, just say it's so interesting. And I mean, I don't know what it is other. I I've used that word too often already in this conversation, but I don't know what other word to use when I, and it didn't dawn on me for the longest time. I'm a civilian career civilian. I've never donned the uniform. I've never, um, gone to war in defense of our country. I've never had that responsibility, obligation, or um, call. But so many people who have, who are very successful, high-ranking, impressive, the epitome of leaders who are just about to recently did or once upon a time did transition out, find me. And I don't know what it is about the message. I, I don't write to military. It's, but there's something, I mean, so like my lead endorser, I don't know, I, I let it out yesterday um, and I had no connection to him. General Stanley McChrystal. I, I wrote him a heartfelt letter and I just said, sir. And I told him just what I told you. I've never worn the uniform. I've never, I've never been called um, to the front lines in defense of our country. I've, I, I haven't achieved nearly what you have, but he did impact my life at a point in time and he didn't know it. And I wrote him a letter to tell him how, and his name comes up in my book and I give him thanks. And, uh, and he, he shot me and I mean, it was, it was this most, I wrote him a letter. I sent it the old fashioned way. And he emailed me and said, I'll read your book. And if I like it, I'll endorse it. Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> I sent him the book. 48 hours later, over Easter weekend, he sends me a thank you for sending a book, his endorsement, and uh, offered to be helpful going forward. I mean, it's just the guy just wow. blew, blows me away. But, uh, and if you go through and you'll see my endorsements, it's former USAF, it's Marines, it's, it's Navy. Uh, I mean, it's just all over the board. My whole point is this, maybe this isn't an accident either. Um, and that you and I are talking, um, you know, General McChrystal, um, John McCaskill, my vision and dream. I, I really think that I could announce a group. I, I could put out onto normal 40 and say, a small group of us coaches are doing an event at this time, at this place, and it's X amount of dollars and it's not free. And you're going to learn mindfulness. I don't do mindfulness. Do I think it's valuable? Hells yes. Yeah. Do I think mindfulness taught by a Navy SEAL is pretty badass? Hell yeah. yeah. Um, and your story and the fact that you're earlier in the transition, but are a coach and are helping people all compelling. I don't know. Maybe it's just worth a dream session for us. Nobody's obligated to say yes to anything. And yeah. we're just spitballing about what, what might be, what might be just fun to try. Hey, we're exploring, man. Top of the first let's explore. Well, that's exactly what we just talked about. I mean, it's, yeah. Hey, let's give it, give it a shot. And if it doesn't work a year from now, we'll just look back, laugh and have a beer over it and say, man, I was, at least we got to hang out for a couple hours. You know, I, that right. is 
that's the epitome, I think, of what you and I are trying to push out to guys is like, okay, so you had this brainstorm, you know, you were hell bent on doing this thing and you did it and it didn't work out. What, what's the worst? Okay. Maybe you wasted a couple dollars, a couple hours, but the friends you made or the experiences or the stories or, you know, whatever is, is truly the valuable part of it. So you'll never regret it. There is um, a, a whole host of opportunities. Um, what you just described is exactly what I'm talking about. And if, if you got the idea, I would love to entertain it and um, just be helpful. Um, because my feeling is if we can reach men and we can change men and the men change their boys, um, families, and our communities are going to be off to a much better start than they're, they're on right now. And that's what I want. All right, hey everyone. That's a wrap for me and Normal 40, the podcast. I would like to thank everyone for being here and for tuning in. I also want to give my special thanks to my friend, John Ballinger. I truly never know what I'm going to hear and who I'm going to meet every time I hit join meeting. And you guys just got to hear a perfect example of exactly what happens in most every day of my life. I love John's story. I love how he articulated the life he created for himself, his hardships and his struggles, but what we saw on the outside and the image of, of the life that, that he built for himself right down to the uniform and the aircraft and the Marine Corps and all of the goodness that he had going on on the exterior, but then the dose of life that was happening all around him on the interior and inside the walls of his home. And it just proves to you that um, life gets really hard. Life gets really hard for us um, at different times and we feel alone. And if you don't know how to communicate about it with a spouse or with a friend, or you don't have a coach you can reach out to just to just to let go of some of the things that are just bouncing around in your head, it gets really dangerous, in fact. Um, and it takes a long time to learn that. And sometimes you got to wait until your back's all the way up against the wall until you do that. And I really, really appreciate John coming on our show to do that. One of the hardest parts about having a podcast like this is it's hard to get people, it's hard to get dudes to come on and tell their stories, stories like this, stories of things that they wrestled with, lessons they've learned, stories of successful people feeling like imposters and wondering um, if they're really on the right track after they've already set down the path. And I hope that maybe, just maybe, this is a show that gives you a little courage to say that, to, to give you the confidence, no, to give you the courage to say, today is the day I start. Today is the day I do one thing. Today is the day I explore one topic that might be an ingredient for the rest of my life. That's all we're here to do. I love John's stories. I love his story about the black marbles. We all can relate to that. We all kind of go through our day and it's white marble, white marble, white marble, white marble. And then all of a sudden you get a black marble and how you're forced to deal with that. Um, draws on everything and everything about you and everything you are to, to make your way through it. I absolutely love the analogy and I appreciate that, uh, that he shared it with us. Lastly, I want to say I'm, I am so excited and humbled and honored um, on, on July 19th 
of 2023, who knows when you're listening to this, I will be launching my book called The Trade. I've got some ridiculous goals and dreams for this book. Um, I have no business being a New York Times bestseller. I'm here to tell you, talk about imposter, but I don't. I don't have any reason or any right to think that my book from a kid in the center of South Dakota, born in the heartland, who had a better than average life, who's willing to tell a story and share it with people to try to inspire them that they can do incredible things, that there's any reason I should have a New York Times bestseller, but I'm going for it. And on July 19th, I would be honored if you would do a couple of things, buy my book. Uh, you can come to find me on LinkedIn. I'll have all the, all the materials there. You can go to my website and sign up for early access and I'll, I'll put a chapter or two in there. You'll find it. Go to normal40.com and uh, click on the trade on the top and you'll have all the information you need on how to, how to navigate to get some early access and how to buy the book. But I really need you to do a couple of things. One, buy it, buy the book on launch day. If you really want to be helpful buy buy the, the, um, hardcover or softcover, whichever you want, and then buy the, buy the Kindle version as well, because that Kindle algorithm really helps to drive additional sales because that drives, drives it up the, up the, up the, uh, proverbial food chain. So please help me with that. Um, and then other places I show up, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on normal 40. You can sign up for the Rambler. It's a newsletter I put out. Uh, not weekly, usually every other week. And I just share stories. And then you can find me here on this podcast. And I thank you for being here. If you love this podcast, please consider leaving a, um, a note. Please send me a note. Please write uh, an endorsement on, on whichever platform you listen to. That's super helpful. And from me and from John and my normal co-pilot, Adam Eaton, thank you for being on the Normal Party Highway. And I'm going to see all of you on the next page. 